This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. We're in Acts chapter 27, the most incredible description of a shipwreck in ancient history. The detail to this is phenomenal. But you know what? It's more than a message about a shipwreck. It's a message about the storms that can come in our lives and the shipwreck of our lives if we're not watching and waiting on the Lord. So today's message is entitled, How Do I Survive a Storm of Stress and Distress? Let's read a portion of Acts 27, and I'm going to begin at verse 13 and read the verse 26. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kada, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be happening just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the written word that you have by your Holy Spirit given to us so that we can be encouraged during our storms and our shipwrecks. Lord, bless the preaching of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how do I survive 
a storm of stress and distress. How can I survive the storm I'm going through? Well, six points, and they have a catchy rhyme sequence to them. We're going to walk through Acts 27 and see these elements. The mess of not listening to a wise warning. The press of a relentless storm. The stress of trying to survive. The yes of having a living faith. The test of trusting God's way. And the rest of arriving where God wants you. Let's look at this in Acts 27. First of all, the mess of ignoring a wise warning, of not listening to a wise warning. We find here in Acts 27, uh, verses 9b to 11, that Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our lives also. But the centurion, the one in charge who had been given trust of Paul and the prisoners to bring them to Rome, and his name was Julius, the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Here's a, an important point, that when God warns us, whether it's in our spirit, by his word, or through a person giving us a wise warning, we should listen. We should heed that wise warning. Why do we often get in trouble? Why do we get into a mess? Because we didn't listen. We didn't pay attention to the signals, the yellow lights and the red flags that were going off saying, caution, caution, and we need to listen. And here we have Paul warning them. Now, how did Paul know that there was going to be a storm? I believe that Paul knew on the basis of several factors. Number one, it says in um, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, that Paul had been through three shipwrecks. This would be his fourth. So I think he had some sort of experience. Some people might say, why listen to a Jewish tent maker? Well, he's been through three shipwrecks before. Number two, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And when you're full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives you insight and wisdom that is transrational. It is beyond reasoning. And so there's more than a hunch, more than intuition. There is a Holy Spirit download into Paul's mind where he can say with confidence, we're about to head into disaster. Don't go. Don't leave. But what do men do? What do people do? They go by their own wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's when we get into trouble. 
when we think we know more than God, or we think we know better than God, let me tell you, Father knows best. And we need to trust Him. We need to listen to Him and heed His warnings. If He says, don't go, then don't go. That's important. But no, when it came down to it, the centurion listened to quote-unquote expert advice. He figures, well, the pilot or the captain of the ship should know the nautical conditions. And the owner of the ship, well, he has a lot invested. He owns the ship, and he wouldn't put his ship at risk, would he? So based on that, and based on the next thing, in verse 12 it says, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. The majority was deciding. Now, you know you're in trouble when you get into a mob mentality. A mob, mob mentality is when you're like a sheep following the flock as everyone else is. And you put aside your feelings and your concerns and you just do it because everyone else is doing it. You know, a teacher would ask, would you jump off a cliff because all your friends are doing it? And you'd say, of course not. Well, would you buy the latest iPhone because everyone's buying the latest iPhone? Well, maybe I would. You see, we can easily fall into mob mentality or herd mentality. We could also have groupthink where we're all thinking of a consensus because it seems the best choice, and we go for that. There was a fly, and it was flying along, and it saw a whole bunch of flies having a party, and they seemed to be dancing. And it was like they were saying, come here and be with us. And he landed on fly paper. So don't do it just because everyone else is doing it. Don't do it just because the majority seems to say it's okay. Don't even do it just because you're moving from something uncomfortable, that is the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, to what's going to be a favorable wind, but they did. And because they didn't listen to the wise warning, guess what happened? They encountered the worst storm of their lives. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. And later, Paul's going to say to them in verse 21, men you should have taken my advice. In other words, I told you so. How many people have lovingly cautioned you? They've warned you. You didn't listen to them, and you got into a big mess, and you heard them say, I told you so. You know, Laurel and Hardy were a comedic team that uh, I love to watch. And uh, oftentimes... Um, uh, Ollie would say to Stan, look at the mess you've gotten us into. This is another fine mess you've gotten us into. Or this is another fine uh, bit of suds of trouble you've gotten us into. And Ollie would say, or, or Stan would say, I'm sorry, Ollie. And it was almost like it was comical because it was like, here we go again. How are we going to get through this? Well, I hope that we're learning, and I hope we're listening, and I hope we're doing more than just having it go in one ear and out the other. I hope we're changing direction. I hope that we're heeding 
the warnings that God gives us. So because they did not heed the wise warning, there was the press of the relentless storm. In Acts 27, verses 14 to 15, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Okay, now this is the storm of storms. Hurricane force. We're talking winds at more than 150 miles per hour blowing this ship any way it wanted to go. The ship didn't have a chance. You know, I took sailing when I was at a Boy Scout camp, and I had a little uh, sunflower kind of um, sailboat for one. And when I'd get out there and the wind started to blow, I'm like, help! Because it was just blowing me across the lake, and I had no control. And I was just learning, so I didn't know how to do it properly. But these were seasoned sailors, and they were tossed to and fro like by every wind. Uh, by every uh, wave there. The press of the storm. Now, you'd think it'd be bad if you had strong winds and large waves pounding on you for hours. It'd be worse if you had strong winds and waves pounding on you for a day. But how long do you think this went on for? It says in verse 27, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. Can you imagine that? 14 days and nights of being violently battered, the relentless storm. And sometimes you are going through life and you feel there's a relentless storm going on. I mean, one thing after another and it doesn't seem to let up and you just feel the press of this storm on your life. Paul said that he felt such a press in his life, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, that he felt as if he had the sentence of death upon him. And he says, but this led us to depend upon God. When you feel the press, don't let it separate you from God and blame God. Why is this happening? But let it press you into the bosom of God that you draw even closer to God and you rely upon him. Because Paul says, when we felt the sentence of death, we depended upon the Lord and trusted the Lord because he's able to raise people from the dead. God is the one who's able to resurrect us even when we feel we are about to die. And even if we die, we will be resurrected one day. Praise be to God. And then we see the stress of trying to survive the storm. In Acts 27, verse 16 B to 21, uh, Dr. Luke is on this trip with Paul to Rome where he's going to appeal to Caesar. And Dr. Luke says, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So every man, all hands on deck are trying to survive. And they hoisted the lifeboat on board. There's a little boat behind the main ship. And that's a lifeboat. Well, they hoisted that boat on board because it was drag, and with the big waves that were coming, it could sink them. And they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold the ship together. That's pretty stressful. And because they were afraid that they would run aground, uh, they lowered the sea anchor. 
and let the ship be driven along. So at least the sea anchor slowing down. And then we took a violent battering and we began to throw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship so it goes higher on the water. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard and get this, with their own hands. Now why is that added there? A, a seasoned sailor, to him, his gear is paramount to success and survival. But when you get to the desperate point where everything's got to go, and you throw your precious gear that you've had all your seaworthy career overboard with your own hands, it's like a carpenter throwing away his favorite tools with their own hands. They threw away that which was most precious because they were desperate. They were under such stress. And when they saw no sun and no stars for many days and the storm continued raging, it says we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That's stress. And you know something else that happens when you're stressed? You stop eating. It says in Acts 27, 21, after they had gone a long time without food. In Acts 27, verse 33, it says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense. That's a good definition of stress. Stress is constant suspense. Is this going to turn out well, or is it going to turn out really badly? How badly is it going to be, and what will my end be? You're in such stress that you can't even eat. Have you ever been at that stress level? If stress was measured on a scale of 1 to 10, have you ever been at a 10 of stress level? Or maybe a 15 off-the-chart stress level? That's where these people are. The stress of trying to survive. They've done everything within their power. They forgot even to eat because they were so busy trying to save their lives. And this brings us to the yes of having a living faith. Because you have a living faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean you will never go through a storm. You will go through a storm. I will go through a storm. We've been through storms. And we have faith in the Lord who will spare us from the storm or bring us through the storm. And the importance of having faith is we're in touch with God. And he's coaching us and comforting us along the way. So there's no exception here. In Acts 27, verses 22 to 26, this is Paul speaking. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. You know, when we give up hope, we've lost. There's a lot of us who are pretty strong in our determination, in our endurance, in our perseverance. We have a high tolerance for pain, and we can take a licking and still be kicking. But when we cave in on the inside, you could blow us over with a feather. There was a little boy, and he was told uh, that he had a terminal disease, and he wasn't going to last very long, and he was in the hospital, and he had no hope. But then a tutor showed up in his hospital room. What are you doing here? Well, I'm here to help you work on your homework for when you go back to school. And that changed his life. Suddenly he had hope. 
And that hope brought an encouragement that brought a change to his whole being. Well, if they're sending a tutor for me, that means I'm going to be going back to school someday. Hope. It makes all the difference. And Paul is saying, have courage. Hope thou in the Lord. You know, when Jeremiah is super depressed, and we read about this in Lamentations in his journal, uh, chapter 3, and he says, my life is like wormwood, meaning my life is bitter. He says, soul, he's speaking to himself, soul, put thou hope in God. His mercies are new every morning. So great is his faithfulness. Ever get low? Ever get depressed? You need to speak to your soul. You need to say to your soul, put your hope back on God, not on your circumstances, because God will put, provide for you an abundance of mercies every morning for you to rely on and draw upon to make it through one day at a time. Put your hope in God. Keep up your courage. And he says, by the Spirit, not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. That was God revealing that to Paul. And how did he reveal it? Well, Acts 27, 22 to 26 goes on to say, last night, these are the words of Paul, an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Don't you love that? Here's a man of faith who has been saying yes to God ever since his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And by saying yes to God, he realized, I belong to God. God, who is the maker of the heavens and the earth, is the one whom I serve. He's bigger than this. God is bigger than all your problems. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. God made your body. He's greater than your body and all the ailments that you're facing and experiencing. And so we praise God for Paul saying this. And, he's, and he says that an angel of the Lord, of the God who, to whom he belongs and whom he serves, stood beside him in the night and said to him personally, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Isn't that wonderful? Paul had a personal, direct, supernatural assurance that God was going to bring him through this, that God was going to bring him all the way to Rome. He would stand before Caesar, Nero, and, uh, and that all the lives of the people on the ship would be spared. On basis of this, he says to the men on board, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God and it will happen just as he told me. That's a wonderful definition of faith. Faith is believing God and taking him at his word. Faith is believing what God says. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's faith. We need, we need to stand on the promises of God's word. Standing on the promises. Are you standing on the promises or sitting on the premises? We need to be standing on the promises. And even when we stand on the promises of God, it doesn't preclude us from trouble. He says very realistically, I have faith in God and it will happen just as he told me. 
Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Even a perfect faith will run into challenges and problems and difficulties. But what is the secret of survival, of perseverance? Keep on saying yes to God. Yes, I trust you. Yes, I take you at your word. Yes, I believe in you. Yes, I know whom I have believed in and that you are faithful to take care of me as I've entrusted my life into your hands. Your will be done. Keep saying yes to God. Yes, Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. Because Father knows best. Then the test of trusting God's way. There's two tests here. One test is that of the sailors who want to secretly escape. And the other test is of uh, the need to eat food and be nourished to survive. Let's look at Acts 27, 30-32. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Oh, we're just going to lower some anchors from the bow. We'll be right back. Yeah, right. They're going to sneak away. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. In other words, the test of trusting God's way is we want to make a shortcut. We want an escape route. We want to use our strategy to get out of the mess. But we need to trust God's way. And in this case, God said, all of you will live if you stay on board. If any of you tries to escape, all of you will die. And so notice in verse 32, so the soldiers cut the ropes and held, that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Are you trying to save yourself? Are you using your own strategy to get out of your mess instead of trusting God? Cut the rope, let it go. Cut the rope, let it go. Trust in God with your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding. God will get you through. Stop trying to help him. He's capable. His arm is not too short that he's not able to save you to the uttermost. Trust in him. And then also on this point, Paul, in verses 33 to 35, urged them to eat. He says, for the last 14 days you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You have eaten, you have not eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. So when you're full of stress and you don't even eat, you don't even think about eating, you're not taking care of yourself. And I love how practical the Bible is. Remember, Elisha went into a slump. He went to a time of depression. And he says, I'm the only one who hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. And God says, I have kept 4,000 from not bowing the knee to Baal. And, uh, or 7,000. And uh, God said to Elisha, rest, eat some food, and I'm going to provide someone to walk alongside you who will succeed you in the ministry of prophecy. Isn't God practical? Sometimes we're burnt out. We're depressed. We've hit rock bottom. 
And part of that is because we aren't taking care of ourselves. We're neglecting to eat right. We're neglecting to sleep right. We're neglecting to exercise. Duh! No wonder we're a mess emotionally, physically, spiritually. We've neglected the temple of the Holy Spirit, our body. So Paul had to give him an example. Okay, it's like this, guys. Thank you, Lord, for providing sustenance. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily strength to make it through today. We trust in you. Just as I eat this bread, I am praising you for the strength you give me every day to make it through one day at a time. That's what he gave them an example. And they were encouraged. Courage was blown into their heart. Uh, Courage filled their hearts. And they ate. Then they threw the extra grain overboard to lighten the ship more. And so there's a test. Are we going to do it God's way or our way? You know that song by Sinatra? I did it my way. I mean, it's sung at funerals. I can't believe that it's sung at funerals, that people want to tout that they live their life their way. You know, Burger King says, have it your way. You know, that's a bunch of selfishness and a bunch of independence from God that the Bible doesn't teach. What we need to do is say, Lord, I want it your way. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's Lord not at all. Jesus is Lord of all. Let's do it his way. Finally, the rest of arriving where God wants you. In Acts 27, verses 43b to 44, the centurion ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were able to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Let's underline one word. Everyone, everyone reached land safely. Praise God that as he had told Paul, it came to pass. God can be depended on. He's trustworthy. And Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.